we will be looking at the book of Esther. Um, trust you've already been in it. A very, very intriguing book. A very intriguing story that is given to us here in the book of Esther. And... Um, Just so much that we can learn from this account. And remember, he tells us in Romans that all these things were written for, for our admonition. There's so much that we can, can learn from these. And, um, I want to begin reading in chapter four of the book of Esther. Um, we're kind of jumping into the middle of this. Um, Haman has already um, made his appeal to the king to wipe out the Jews. And Mordecai is a Jew. And Esther has already become the queen. And she is a Jew, but the king didn't know that she was a Jew at this time. And um, Mordecai had... um, already made an appeal that um, spared the king's life because he heard a threat was being made on the king's life. But then when Mordecai heard of Haman's plans uh, and got the king to agree with it, and it was sent out through all the land, um, Mordecai um, took steps of action. And that's right where we're picking it up in chapter 4 of the book of Esther, verse 1. When Mordecai learned all that had happened, he tore his clothes and put on sackcloth and ashes and went out into the midst of the city. He cried out with a loud and bitter cry. He went as far as the front of the king's gate, for no one might enter the king's gate clothed with sackcloth. And in every province where the king's command and decree arrived, there was great mourning among the Jews with fasting, weeping and wailing, and many lay in sackcloth and ashes. So Esther's maids and eunuchs came and told her, and the queen was deeply distressed. Then she sent garments to clothe Mordecai and took his sackcloth away from him, but he would not accept them. Then Esther called Hathak, one of the king's eunuchs, whom he had appointed to attend to her, and she gave him a command concerning Mordecai to learn what and why this was. So Hathak went out to Mordecai in the city square that was in front of the king's gate. And Mordecai told him all that had happened to him, And the sum of money that Haman had promised to pay into the king's treasuries to destroy the Jews. And he also gave him a copy of the written decree for their destruction, which was given to Shushan, that he might show it to Esther and explain it to her, and that he might command her to go into the king to make supplication to him and plead before him for her people. So Hathak returned and told Esther the words of Mordecai. 
Then Esther spoke to Hathak and gave him a command for Mordecai. And all the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know that any man or woman who goes into the inner court of the king who has not been called, he has but one law put all to death except the one to whom the king holds out the golden scepter that he may live. Yet I myself have not been called to go into the king these thirty days. So they told Mordecai Esther's words. And Mordecai told them to answer Esther. Do not think in your heart that you will escape in the king's palace any more than all the other Jews. For if you remain completely silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. Yet who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Then Esther told him them to reply to Mordecai, Go, gather all the Jews who are present in Shushan and fast for me. Neither eat nor drink for three days, night or day. My maids and I will fast likewise, and so I will go to the king which is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went his way and did according to all that Esther commanded. Now, we, as we said, we're kind of dropping into the middle of this story here, but we want to, we want to convey today the mighty hand of God's providence in the book of Esther. Book of, the book of Esther is a unique book. Not once in the book is God mentioned. His name is not in the book. There is not a direct reference to God. But God's hand is clearly manifested throughout every detail of the book of Esther. The book of Esther, as we mentioned before when we were going through Ezra and Nehemiah, it takes place in, in the book, in the time frame of Ezra and Nehemiah. And it, it's surrounded by all their events. And, and it's a unique time in the Persian Empire. Um, Artaxerxes, the king of Persia, has suffered a defeat. Um, just some brief history here. The Persian Empire is in decline. They have suffered a defeat. That's one of the reasons you begin the book of Esther. He had a six-month party, 180 days party that he had. And he did this throughout all the provinces to try to bolster their spirits and to get people um, encouraged again and maybe willing to go to war. But they were in decline. The Greeks were ready and were conquering. And um, Alexander the Great, if you remember from your history, would eventually conquer the whole, the whole known world at that time. <clears throat> and yet, in this Medo-Persian country are many of the Jews that were taken captive by the Babylons. 
We saw with Ezra and Nehemiah, 50,000 of them went back. 1,700 more went back. But there were about a million of them that were captive in Medo-Persia, conquered by the Babylons, then the Medo-Persians. And, and here they were, their own entity, and in the book of Esther, again, as throughout all of history, there arose the hatred against the Jewish people. And um, I'm, I'm not going to go over all the details of the book of Esther, but you're familiar with um, the queen did not please the king. He got rid of her. He, he sent out a command to bring the most beautiful maids from the country, and he would choose which one would be his queen, and it ended up being Esther. I mean, through all of this, the hand of God. And Esther, a Jew, ended up being the queen of the Medo-Persian Empire. Well, Haman despised a man by the name of Mordecai because Mordecai would not bow down to Haman, would not respect him, um, was his own entity, and this sat under the craw of Haman, although he had everything that you could want, but he had one thing he didn't want, and that's what controlled his life. And so he came and said, King, we have a group of people here that are planning rebellion. They need to be wiped out. It's the Jews, and the king uh, agreed that that ought to be done. And so that's the the picture where we picked it up in, in chapter 4. Mordecai was devastated. The Jews around the... The empire were devastated. There's weeping and wailing and, and understanding this, this death threat that was upon them. And then begins or continues the working of God, the providence of God in an amazing way. The providence of God, divine providence. A definition of providence is how God works behind the scenes to accomplish his will through everyday events. In other words, the supernatural accomplished through the natural. One of our most famous American documents is the Declaration of Independence. Our forefathers signed that great statement setting forth the reasons they believed God was leading them to establish a new nation upon this continent. And the closing words of that document are this. For the support of this declaration, with a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence, We mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. Notice, they said, with a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence, God, at work behind the scenes in natural events, everyday events, 
to accomplish supernatural things through what someone may look at and say, that's just natural events. Those things just happened. The book of Esther really conveys this. So much so, as I said, God's name isn't even listed in the book of Esther. But God behind the scenes is working what the natural man would think. Wow, that was amazing. How coincidental. Oh, that was bad luck. But no, it was the providence of God. You know, sometimes in life you may say, what a bad day I'm having or what rotten luck I've had lately. Or you may say, que sera, sera, whatever will be, will be. There's nothing I can do about it. Or you may say, like we heard a number of years ago, evangelist Steve Piggott say, Oh, well, oh, well, there it is. But regardless of how we view things, God is at work. And God's providence, divine providence, literally the word providence means that God has the foresight, Needless to say, he knows all things. He has the foresight and the power to make things that we think are just naturally happening work for a larger and more grand purpose. Jesus Christ reiterated this idea of God's providence in... His teaching, he said to the disciples, aren't two sparrows sold for a penny? He said, are not you of more value than them? And if one of them, these insignificant sparrows, compared to human beings, Jesus is saying, If one of them cannot fall to the ground without your heavenly Father noticing, don't you think he knows what's going on in your life? In the same passage, he said, By the way, the very hairs of your head are numbered. God knows how many hairs are on your head. And he said, Because of this great knowledge of God and foresight of God and providence of God, therefore do not fear. Are you not more valuable than a sparrow? Now, there may come times in your life when you think, Maybe God knows when a sparrow falls to the ground, but I'm not sure he knows what's really going on in my life. For Mordecai and the Jews, it very well could have been their thought during these times. We are, we are days away from being annihilated. 
And yet, there are a number of lessons that we learn in the providence of God through the book of Esther that I want to remind us of here today. Number one, the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. Proverbs 21, 1, the book of Esther is a testimony that the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. Good, bad, or otherwise, I'm not going to go there, but the king's heart changed who was the queen to make Esther the queen. The king's heart promoted Haman, a wicked, divisive, individual. The king's heart could not sleep at night. God controlled that. The king's heart did not call for any any avenue of entertainment that he could have called in to entertain him that night. The king's heart was turned toward the record's of what has happened in his kingdom. And the king's heart and the king's servants were led to read about Mordecai and how that he found out two people were plotting to kill the king and he gave them a heads up and the death threat was eliminated And the king's heart was turned to say, did we ever do anything to reward Mordecai for that? I mean, all these natural events, God is behind it in his providence. And the king's heart was turned to say, I'm going to ask the next one of my advisors that walks in what we should do to honor a man that is held in high esteem But the king's heart did not mention it was Haman, Mordecai, who Haman hated. He just said, what would you say we do to honor someone in our kingdom? And typical of a human being, oh, boy, he must be talking about me. I'm I'm his right-hand guy, and he spells out all this extravagant spiel that they should go into And then he says, yeah, that's a good idea. And the king's heart was turned. Now go honor Mordecai. You can just, I mean, this is, this is real life drama here. You can just imagine Haman and and of course, we don't have the time. You'll get into it in your further studies this week. But I'm telling you, the king's heart, God's telling us, the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. And it doesn't matter if it's Putin or the North Korean ruler or the Iranian ruler or the President of the United States, it is nothing for God to touch any one of them from the standpoint of keeping them awake to closing their eyes that they don't see things. 
We make this life bigger than it is. God is in control. And the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. And we also learn from this that God's will is worked through the actions of man. See, it, it's, it's tempting to say, oh, the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. Whatever happens is going to happen. I'm not going to do anything. Mordecai was actively involved in whatever came into his life. He could have easily said, man, I hear these two guys are going to kill the king. Wow, this will be interesting to watch. Wonder how that's going to work out. But he honored his authorities and he said, wait a minute. And it was God that put on his heart, and God used his actions. God's providence doesn't mean that he doesn't use people. He uses people. He uses the the actions of man. Mordecai could have said, we're done, we're done. But no, he went and made an appeal, and, and Queen Esther was kind of embarrassed. Go take these clothes to him and tell him to get out of that sackcloth and ashes. He's right here at the king's gate. What's going? Ask him what's going on. And Mordecai made an appeal and and said, Queen Esther, do you understand what's going on? God's will is worked through the actions of man, and opportunities for God's glory come in normal, unpretentious acts of character. Opportunities for God's glory come in normal, unpretentious acts of character. Are you ever like this that you think, You know, I read about the book of Esther, I read about Esther, I read about Ezra, I read about Nehemiah, I read about Samson, I read about these Bible characters. What is my life? I'm a a little peon here in southern Iowa just trying to make it. How is my life anything? I read about these mighty works, these people God has used in history. I I read about Patrick Henry, and what am I? It was just a normal servitude in Babylon, Medo-Persia, doing the daily workings. And Mordecai did a normal, unpretentious act of character in what he did in protecting the king. When God moves in human history, most of the time he moves through ordinary events, stringing them together in such a way that his will is ultimately done. And God can use the smallest events to produce great results. I look back in my life 
and nothing great has happened in my life, but I look back and there have been individuals that have either did or said something that they had no idea that it had an impact on my life. It was an ordinary, simple thing of life. But in the divine providence of God, it had an impact on my life. I shared with the men in in um, Sunday school several weeks ago about, I think it was there, maybe it was here in the service, I don't know, but I'm, I'm losing my mind, see? You don't need to laugh that loud, Jason, all right? Um can't remember where I was going, okay? A missionary came. I was I was probably a freshman in high school. Have I told you this before? My wife says, "Yeah." Tell us again. No. But he conveyed to me To be honest with you, I didn't have a very high view of missionaries because they always just sat and talked with my mom and dad about other things, you know. And I wasn't very with it, so I didn't care. But he took an interest in my life. An ordinary event that in the providence of God, he used in my life. You may think, my life, it's not doing anything. I'm, I just, I'm working and family and fixing stuff around the house that's always breaking down or the farm or whatever. And, and maybe a little other interest and, and it's just, it's just this life. The providence of God, he can use the normal things of life to accomplish his purposes. William Cowper, a literary giant really, wrote this poem in the darkest hour of his life. He battled dark, dark thoughts in his life. And he wrote this poem, God moves in mysterious ways his wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps in the sea and rides upon the storm. Deep in unfathomable minds of never failing skill, he treasures up his bright designs and works his sovereign will. Ye fearful saints, Fresh courage take. The clouds ye so much dread are big with mercy and shall break in blessings on your head. Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace. Behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. His purposes will ripen fast, unfolding every hour. The bud may have a bitter taste, but sweet will be the flower. Blind unbelief is sure to err and scan his work in vain. 
God is his own interpreter. And someday he will make it plain. In understanding, God works in mysterious ways. The book of Esther conveys that. In ways that you you can't even imagine. But we must always trust God's character, especially in darkness. I love verse 13 of chapter 4. Mordecai came and said to Esther, don't think in your heart that just because you're in the king's palace, this judgment on the Jews won't fall on you. He said, if you remain silent, and notice his faith in the character of God, if you remain silent, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place but you and your father's house shall perish. Not a mention of God here, but a definite fact that he knew that the Jewish people through whom the Savior would come had to be preserved. And he said, Esther, you are at the prime condition right now. You can stand and be used of God. But if you keep silent, you will perish But God will raise up someone to deliver. And he, in the midst of the darkest time of his life, he clearly kept his faith in God. Charles Spurgeon told the story of a lady that went into a place where they were manufacturing rugs, large rugs, and as she observed, she said, there is, there is no beauty in that rug. The man said, are you kidding me? That is one of the most beautiful carpets you will ever see. She said, I, maybe we're looking at different things, but I don't see there's a piece hanging out there and, and it's all in disorder, tangled over there. He said, do you know, ma'am, you're looking at the wrong side of the carpet. There are often in our life that we look at things and we say, this does not make sense. It is a tangled mess. This does not make sense to me at all. And God says, in the midst of the darkness, trust me, you're only seeing from the bottom side of the carpet. Someday we are going to see what God has been weaving together in our lives. And you know what? There come some dark threads, and it's not just in our lives. Our lives are a part of God's grand carpet, if you please. It's not about us. It's about our lives in God's design and God's providence, and you can trust this. But see, to trust God, there are some things you must believe. You must believe God is perfect in all his ways. There come in life some horrific events in individuals' lives. There come some mysterious things that you cannot explain. And in order to keep your faith in God in those times, you must believe that God is perfect in all his ways. 
And you must believe that God is actively at work in the world and in my life. It's not just I'm set out here in life and whatever happens to me, that happens. No, God is actively at work in the world and he is actively at work in my life and i am part of the and you are part of the the grand weaver's design that he is designing and someday we will understand it because ultimately everything will bring glory to god even the most the most vile and wicked Everything will ultimately bring glory to God. Because God will be glorified in the end. And realizing that, in the midst of darkness, when all we see are the tangled, knotted parts of life that don't make any sense to us, we need to come back and say, wait a minute, I know God is perfect in all His ways. I know he is actively at work in the world today, and he is at work in my life today, although I may not understand it, and I know that everything will ultimately bring glory to God. A.M. Overton wrote, My father's way may twist and turn, my heart may throb and ache. But in my soul, I'm glad I know he makes no mistake. My cherished plans may go astray. My hopes may fade away. But still I'll trust my Lord to lead. For he does know the way. Though night be dark and it may seem that day will never break. I'll pin my faith, my all in him, because he makes no mistake. There's so much now I cannot see. My eyesight's far too dim. But come what may, I'll simply trust, and I'll leave it all to him. For by and by, the mist will lift. And plain it all he'll make. Through all the way, through though dark to me, I'll see he made not one mistake. The book of Esther conveys that. And the same God of Esther is the same God that is at work in your life. And some of you have many things right now in your life that you're saying, I don't get it, I don't see God. But come back to the character of God and trust Him. There's some that maybe this week or next month or this next year will have something, all our plans will go awry. But we can still trust God. In understanding We can trust God and we can rest in the fact that truth will always triumph.
The book of Esther conveys that truth. That truth will always triumph. And it's not that we understand it all. It's that we identify with truth, with God. Robert E. Lee said after realizing his failure in leading the Confederates, he said, we failed, but in the good providence of God, apparent failure often proves a blessing. Can you imagine saying that at that point in your life? I've failed, but I'm trusting the providence of God. That what may look like apparent failure, God can turn and use it for a blessing. See, that's, that's where we're called into question. The events that happen in our life, do we really believe God can move and change and take normal things in life? And, and maybe when our plans go awry, that we can still say, God, someday I'm going to look down at this carpet, so to speak, and I'm going to see, wow, that's what you were doing. All praise and honor and glory to you. We're going to close our service today by singing the song, God never moves without purpose or plan when trying his servant or molding a man. I'm going to ask Jason if he'll come and lead that for us. And and I want you to just think of your own life as you sing this. Maybe there's plans that that you had that have been completely turned upside down. Maybe there's events that have taken place in your life that you say, I never would have chosen this. Why, God? And maybe you need to just come back and submit to God and say, God, I don't understand it, but you're the grand weaver. I submit to you. And I yield to you. There are many people that go through life with a bitterness in their soul because they've been disappointed God didn't fit into their box, their expectations. Perhaps you're here today and and you say, you know what? I've never submitted to God initially in allowing Him to be the master of my life, turning from my sin to Jesus Christ I've never, I've never done that, and I know I need to. I would urge you, even as we sing, to cry out to God. If you'd like someone to meet with you and pray with you, we'd love to do that. But God's providence is at work in your life in the very basic, natural things of life. He is perfect in everything He does. He will give us the grace for everything that we need, and he will ultimately be glorified so we can rejoice in the Lord 
you think of this as we stand together and sing hymn number 475.